God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And when you set your expectations high and you don't take for common the gathering of the believers, God has a way of sending you a word that will encourage you right where you are. He has a way of getting a hold of somebody's morning prayer time or somebody's Saturday prayer time. And he just drops something in them to deposit in you. And all you got to do is show up in community. All you got to do is show up in the body and then it gets released. And then all you got to do is grab a hold of it because he's a good, good father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you have been learning and growing in the summer body series? Amen. Amen. Well, if it's just for 20 people, bless God. Amen for you, 20. All right. Turn with me to Proverbs 18. We're going to read the first verse and the last verse. <clears throat> Even uh, before the word came for June, um, it's always a time of transition for us as we make sure that we are just as good as stewards of the last six months of the, months of the year as we are in the first six months of the year. And so God really dropped this series for us um, movement-wide to really just strengthen the body of Christ. It's been represented as so many things and not necessarily what God wanted for the body of Christ to be. And so we are so excited that he's given us so many gems throughout this time as we really work on um, getting greater revelation of what the body of Christ is and who we are to be to each other. Um, I would encourage you that if you've missed any of the weeks of the Summer Body Series, you want to go back and listen to those weeks. And you really want to listen to it um, with the ear to hear what the Lord is saying to you. Not what the Lord is saying to somebody else or somebody you've encountered here. Oh, yeah, she needed to hear that. I want you to listen with the ear to hear what he is saying to you. Amen. So if you are um, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says, An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts fights or quarrels. If you move down to verse 24, it ends and it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Um, I like it in the New King James Version because verse 1, instead of saying an unfriendly person, it actually says a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and rages against all wise judgment. And then there's a New American Standard Version. And in the New American Standard Version, verse 24 actually says, instead of an unfriendly one, it says a man of two many friends comes to ruin or a collector of friends but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother I think it's important to note that all of these different versions are different interpretations when we look back words do have multiple meanings and so I think that these different versions offer us different levels of insight so overall, verse 1 has come to teach us that, um, or warn us against isolation, warn us against being unfriendly, 
uh, warn us against seeking our own desire, which is actually associated with isolation. A lot of times we see isolation and we see it as a personal thing that we just desire. But the Bible says that when you put yourself in isolation, it is so that you can be selfish. So the Bible says. And then verse 24 warns us against being unreliable and having unreliable friends. It warns us against being unfriendly yet again. And then it warns us against having too many friends. Y'all know anybody who got just like tons of friends? Everybody they friend. Amen. Let's look at one more scripture before we jump into it. Let's look at John 15 verse 12. So I believe that Proverbs gives us a lot. And we actually are going to go back to Proverbs and walk through um, different chapters and verses. Um, but it's mostly on parallel friendships, uh, friendships with each other. But John 15 um, gives us actually the model for friendship. And it says um, in John 15 and 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. And if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. And so that speaks of our vertical friendship relationship by which we're to use the basis to build our parallel friendships. Um, one of uh, a big you know, outlets right now, our platforms is a social media outlet, social media platform. And it's funny because the way that you collect followers or connections um, on one of the platforms is to collect friends and to collect followers. Uh, first problem with that is that there's a difference between a follower and a friend. Second problem with that is that these friendships are predicated on things that are faulty. Mutual interests, mutual likes and comments, and or mutual friends. Sometimes we've been disappointed because we had a mutual friend, and so it implied a friendship. But when you have an implied friendship, it's just as bad as a kid having an imaginary friend. Um, because the thing about kids when they have imaginary friends is they just make up whatever they want, and that's what they put on that imaginary friend. And so we have imaginary friends who we make up as our heroes. Um, we blame things on them. Um, we did something, but then we put it on our imaginary friend. And so we don't take any responsibility when it comes to our imaginary friend. Why? Because there's no accountability in imaginary friends. You try telling a three-year-old that their imaginary friend did not spill the juice out of the refrigerator. It's just not true because they know their imaginary friend the best. And the reason why they created that imaginary friend is because there's no accountability. You can't spank their imaginary friend. You can't put their imaginary friend out. And so they just make up a whole crew of imaginary friends. And the imaginary friend stays until that child comes into maturity. And when that child comes into maturity, they swap out their imaginary friend with real friends in the earth that they act to actually work on the relationship. Can I challenge you with something? 
Some of us are stuck in the imaginary friend stage. We all need companionship. So if you ever found yourself in the situation where you say, I don't need friends, you are still in the imaginary friend stage. Because see, when you're in that stage, they don't actually get the benefit of having a friend to really play with. And so because they take that true value for granted, they insert something that is not actually real. And so when you value what a real friendship does, you pursue that instead of an imaginary one. And so when you say, I don't need friends, you just, what you mean is you don't know the value of friends. I would further say that we probably need to jump back in that Bible again, because the Bible actually speaks against that. And it tells us that we actually do need friends. So if the Bible says you need them, the Bible says that you should have them. Well, then guess what? You need them and you should have them. Furthermore, Jesus is our model and Jesus had friends. Furthermore, God is our model. And God said, not only um, should you have friends, but he said that he is your friend. So if you don't need friends, I don't know. It is a church crisis called loneliness. I could not even begin to count the number of times that I have counseled or spoken with people who say that they are lonely or they feel alone or they say it like, I just feel like I'm by myself or they say, I just feel like I don't have anybody. All of these statements, they speak to the same thing. They speak to loneliness. Now there is isolation and then there is loneliness. Small difference, but they actually still have the same effects. Some people have taken on isolation as a way of life. So what they've done is they've taken isolation and they've mastered isolation. And so because they've gone without the benefits of community, it is possible to convince yourself that you do not need community. But you need community. You probably just have crafted idols and other imaginary things in that life of isolation in order to fill in where real community should be. And so when you live a lifestyle of isolation, it does not always equal loneliness to that person because they genuinely are not lonely. They have made a lifestyle of isolation. Here's where loneliness set in. You just happen to feel the effects of that isolation. So you now can voice it. You now can communicate it as loneliness or being alone. What I've always found really interesting about it is that people, and I can't say that I'm outside of this, how do I feel alone or by myself when I'm around so many people? You're in relationships and you're around all of these people. So how are you lonely? It's because we haven't tapped into the benefit of friends. You can't have the benefit if you are not explicit and intentional about grabbing it. 
Do you know it's possible for two people to sit in the same room in the same community and experience two drastically different things? Do you know that people can say about the same body and about the same church, they are so friendly and they are so unfriendly? Do you know that people can say about the same body and the same group of people that they are so accepting and loving and they are so judgmental and hateful? About the same group of people. What's the problem? You are the problem. So revelation I had to get. Because I always used to take other people's um, perception and their evaluation and take it on as my own. But if you let other people and their perception dictate who you are, what you're doing, you will drive yourself crazy. Why? Because the heart is deceitfully wicked and because some people are double-minded. And so you will change in order to change their perception, but then their perception changes and you're still wrong. So we go to the word and we allow the word to dictate how we pursue, maintain friendship relationships. Now we're talking about this as a part of the summer body series. This is not to say that everybody in your local body or in the body of Christ should be your friend. This is to say that that is one of the benefits of community and one of the benefits of a body is that you should have a pool from which you can pull a quality amount and wealth of friendships. It is also not to say that you cannot be friends with people outside of the body. Why? Because we only follow the testimony of Jesus. And what was the testimony of Jesus that he was friends with who? sinners straight up they didn't i mean you know in a couple of versions they call them different things but when it comes down to it he was friends with sinners people literally had a problem with him because he was friends with sinners so i am not going to tell you because remember the bible is our base because all of us can get a little twisted in our minds so that's why you let the word anchor you you let it anchor you. Even when it doesn't make sense to you, let the word anchor you. Even though when you think you get like really, really smart and you got like new revelation, you don't have no new revelation outside of the word of God. So I'm not going to tell you, you cannot be friends with sinners. It's not biblical. Okay. But we are going to focus. Amen. Well, I want to make sure it didn't get implied. Okay, so we're going to focus on friend relationships and building friend relationships within the body. That's just what we're focusing on today. We're not making any implications of anything else. I just want to be clear because then people take that and they build it on something else. Okay. One of the uh, studies on isolation in um, both older adults um, down to uh, adolescents like 12, uh, because that's kind of where this trend of isolation starts is that isolation manifests in your body as illness and sickness. 
And what people cannot trace back to a genetic trait, what they cannot trace back to um, uh, poor health, what they cannot trace back to unhealthy habits is often uh, traced back to loneliness. Or people um, have been diagnosed with things having to do with a broken heart. And usually that broken heart is the removal of somebody from their life and they feel isolated. And so isolation database, it leads to illness in your body. There is a medicine that cannot be issued over the counter, but can only be administered through people. And that medication is administered through friendships. And so you will look for that medication all kind of different places, but you can only get it from a friend. Other people have large families and they say, I have a family. Um, And they're like, I got, you know, cousins and sisters and brothers and everything like that. But in the word, because remember, that is our base. It talks about a friend that will stick closer than a brother. This is not to denounce your family and say that they're nothing. But there are some things that loyalty and commitment can establish in your life with relationships that genetics just will not do. And it is okay. Why? Because you are pursuing biblically the relationships that you are owed and do in your life. So I appreciate your brother, appreciate your sister, but there is something that a friend will do in your life that another relationship just simply does not offer. And so this devotion, it supersedes a natural tie. And the reason why I felt that was important to highlight is because sometimes when those natural ties fail us, we allow them to cause fear, concern, and anxiety because we convince ourselves along with the enemy that if my sister, if my brother, if my family would do this to me, well, I won't dare step outside of the natural or family ties and pursue somebody else because surely somebody that I'm not even related to is not going to be better to me than somebody who's actually in my family. And so what it's done, it's, it's created this... Um, this uh, fear, this uh, uh, skepticism where we won't even pursue relationships with other people because we're looking at how we were done by somebody in our family. But the same way that the, the scripture speaks of a friend that will stick closer than a brother, you need all of those relationships, both community and collaboration, both inside and outside of those natural family ties. And then there's this concept of being church friendly. Amen. Blessings, blessed, highly favored. Everything's great. God is moving in my life. He is. But tell me about how you almost committed suicide last night. And so we have adopted a church friendliness. Problem with that is I could not find any relationship in the Bible that was limited to the context of the gathering of believers. I did find where people met people there, but they also did the work of the ministry and commune together outside of the gathering of believers. So church friends, guys, I'm really sorry to tell you, but it's not a thing. 
seen people introduce each other as their church friend. That may be where you met them, but there is no such thing as a church friend. All I can do is look at the relationships in the Bible and how those friend relationships went. And so what we've done is we've created a new lane of church friendships, which gives us an excuse to be shallow, gives us an excuse to be uncommitted, gives us an excuse to not care about people. Because if you classify them as your church friend, you don't feel the urge to pray for or check on them until you guys get back to church. When we look at this concept that we are called to be friends of God, we are called to be friends of God first. When we look at James 2 and 23, it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. I had to keep reading it and then I read other places where we were called the friend of God and every time we were called his friend, it was not without the individual or person doing something. Now, I wanted to preach it different to you. I wanted to preach to you that he's just your friend, not biblical. Because what it says is that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And then he was called the friend of God. So there's a certain level of confidence, which you have to have in all of your friends, but especially in your friend, God, in order to, for him to manifest as your friend. Because, see, what you'll find is that confidence is the child of knowledge. And knowledge is the child of trust. And so if confidence is a child of knowledge and knowledge is a child of trust, I can't be his friend unless I trust him. And so when we sing things like, I am a friend of God, hallelujah, I am a friend of God. Yeah, Yes and no. Okay? It's like, a, it's like a yes and a no. He wants to be your friend. But if you don't trust him, you guys are not friends. You're just, you're not friends. And then if you don't trust him, then it's hard to know him. Because that knowing or knowledge, it, it's, it's kind of born out of trust. And, and then once you birth that knowledge, then you birth that confidence. And so you don't second guess him. There are certain friends um, that if people came back to me and told me that this friend said this about you. There's a certain level of knowing that I know you a god dog liar. That's what you are. You're lying. I'm not going to go back to that friend and ask him. I'm not going to lose no sleep over it. Why? Because I know my friend. So when you find that you are constantly second guessing what God says 
to and about you, he's not your friend. When you believe what an enemy or somebody who is against your soul says to you above what your friend said to you, then he's not your friend. When you believe what your bank account or your boss or your job or your followers or your denial says about you instead of what your friend says, he's just not your friend. Now, he wants to be your friend. Now, that's the truth. He wants to be your friend. But he shows you how. Abraham believed God. Now, when you make a decision that you want to believe him, then you can be his friend too. Squad goals. You want to be in his squad? You got to believe him. Amen. And then that love begins to manifest in your relationship. And you feel his love because you stepped out to believe him. It's a model. For how we are to build these other relationships, you haven't been able to uh, have friends because you don't believe nobody. Nobody. Everybody lying. Everybody got an agenda. And then as soon as they manifest something wrong, you're like, see, told you. And that's the same way we do God. It's see, told you. And he's like, no, you didn't told me nothing. I'm trying to show you something. But when you believe God and things end up the way that you think they shouldn't have gone, you don't question God. You just go back and say, what are you doing here? What were you doing here? What are we doing here? And there is no implication of wrong. There's absolutely no implication or wrong. Instead of jumping to, I knew he would fail me. I knew he left me. He's not listening to me. He's not talking to me. When my friend does not call me back, when my friend does not text me back, when my friend looks like they're ignoring me, if it's really my friend, I assume the best. So I assume they got busy. I assume they changed their phone number and they didn't give it to me yet. I assume that they had their phone in their pocket at work, went to toot real quick, and it just fell in the toilet. But what I do is I assume everything the best. If you're not giving God the benefit of the doubt of assuming everything the best, then he's not your friend. First friendship relationship we got to establish is our friendship with God. I can't teach you about parallel friendships if you refuse to have a friendship with him. In his friendship with you and your friendship with him, he will model for you everything that you need in order to get these friendship relationships right, including forgiveness. 
Amen. So when we look at Proverbs, it's a book of wisdom overall, but it's definitely a book of wisdom on um, friendships. And so Proverbs has a ton of directives on friendships. We're going to look at just a few of those today, okay? And so um, it has levels of friendships that they talk about, which this one was really interesting for me because one of the things um, that I have struggled with is that people just use the term so loosely, Okay. I even know teachers who call like the kids in their class friends. I'm like, they're not your friend. They're like, come on, friends, all my friends, all my friends at the carpet. I'm like, they just teaching these kids wrong. You ain't their friend. I'm your teacher. No. Um, so I've been super stingy with the word friend. But when you look at the model of friendship in the Bible, it's really funny because there are different levels of friendship. And they're manifest in different people. And so the reason why you really need a squad is because they will hold different roles in your life, all based on the same foundation. So I'm still not on the side where everybody's friend, but it doesn't have to be as exclusive as we've made it either. Because biblically, there are friends that manifest different things at different times of your life. There was a certain time where Paul and Barnabas were friends. And there was a certain time where Paul led the relationship and where Barnabas led the relationship. And then there was a certain time where they just weren't really friends anymore. Okay. And so there are different levels of friendship and different manifestations of friendship. Now, there should not be a friend that manifests outside of the qualities of the biblical qualities of friend or anybody who um, destroys, detracts, or takes away from your life. So that is the base for all of the friend relationships, even though some will manifest these certain things more than others. Okay. And so, um, one of my favorite scriptures, I was telling Apostle, I love this scripture. Every time I run by it, I'm just like, ha, 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 it just makes me laugh. So, um, especially because, um, you know, it's such a thing now. Um, it's Proverbs 12 and 1, and it says, he who loves instruction loves knowledge. And he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> I love that scripture. <laughs> Because people just hate correction. And the Bible says you're stupid. <laughs> Why do they have to say it like that? Because it is. But anyways, I'm sorry. That's, that's not in the message, but it is in Proverbs 12, okay? And I'd be reading for context. And so I ran across it again, and I was like, Okay. All right. So go to verse 26. Just don't read number one because I already read it to you. Okay. So Proverbs 12 and 26. And it says the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. So the Bible instructs us to be cautious about how we choose our friends. So as we go through what Proverbs has to offer, I want you to not go through evaluating just your friends, but I want you to also evaluate yourself as a friend. Because remember the original scriptures that we read in Proverbs 18 talks about you being unfriendly and how that also leads to ruin. And so friendship one-on-one, you are not friendly if you never smile. You are not friendly if you don't talk to people. You are not friendly if you always wait on people to talk to you. Straight up. 
You just not, you not friendly. Okay. That's your first evaluation point. Amen. Proverbs 17 and 17 says, um, and a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now the brother here is not the familiar term brother. It is the term of adoption, brother and sister, as used when talking about the body of Christ. So some places, brother and sister is used as a familiar term, familial term, and then some places, brother and sister is implied as relationship, proximity, being in similar spaces. And that's the way that brother is being used here in Proverbs chapter 17, okay? So this one is talking about, it could be like implied proximity, space, relation, um, relational, and not necessarily genetic. Um, and so the first thing that you want to look at is this friend named love okay so you want to look at this friend named love this friend named love stands the test of time this friend named love stands the test of time this is that friend that's there through thick and thin good and bad this could be like the childhood friend, the, the school grade level friend. Um, I have a friend that I've been friends with her since we were like nine, ten, nine or ten. I don't know. Something like that. We, were, we went through school together, competitions together. We were college roommates, one and one and one. She was here a few weeks ago. Okay, so this is that friend named love. Well, what does that mean? Shouldn't all your friends be this? No. There are some friends that have been given a life sentence with you. Bless them. Bless those friends. Because they get all the ebbs and flows, all the ups and downs. They got immature you and mature you. Praise God. They got saved you and unsaved you. Praise God. This friend manifests itself often in just longevity. This friend is simply able to ride the waves of your life. Now, we've been mad at people, and we've cut them off as not being a true friend because they couldn't ride the waves of our life, but they're just not that friend named love. Not that they don't love you and not that that's not the base, but there is some love that covers all, and that is that friend. And so sometimes when a friend washes away from a certain season of your life, do not deem them as somebody that was not your friend. They were your friend for that season or that period of time. There's no need for you to harbor any type of bitterness or ill feelings against them because they just were not that friend to you. Um, and so there is a certain thing where loyalty is um, unsafe. And that's when that person is detracting, distracting, or taking away from your life. If they're not, and they have rolled the waves of your life, then they are your friend named love. The other thing about that friend is they show great sacrifice. There are some people who don't have a level of sacrifice to even sustain you throughout your life. But there are certain friends who will sacrifice beyond what you could ever believe. And you are forever grateful to them. And you are forever indebted to each other because of this mutual sacrifice that you all made for each other. This is why it says that this friend loves at all times. This friend is manifest by loyalty. They are loyal. You all literally stand up for each other. 
And the reason why I put this one with the quality of that friend named love is because sometimes people are a friend for such a short season in your life, you all don't even go through enough for you all to be able to stand up for each other. So this usually comes with longevity or time, okay? The second thing that Proverbs tells us is about this next type of friend in Proverbs 27 and 6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'm like, wait, you mean the wounds of an enemy? Who are you talking about? The wounds of a friend? But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. This is the friend named Wisdom. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You ever heard anything wise and it hurt your feelings? And I always ask people, but where's the lie? Were they lying though? Well, they didn't have to say it like that. I get that part. But were they lying? So this is the friend named Wisdom. Um, It goes to talk about the kisses of an enemy being deceitful. Um, This wisdom comes in honesty. So if you have a friend that will lie to you for the sake of your feelings, they are not a friend. To a hungry soul, somebody who's just needy for friends, every bitter thing is sweet. So they give you trashy advice, good advice. It don't matter. You just happy somebody talking to you. This friend named Wisdom will actually sharpen your understanding. Everybody needs a friend named Wisdom. They will make you think about things differently. And this is different than the next friend I'll talk about. But this friend, the way that they deliver it is in delight. They actually find delight and joy in helping you shape your life and helping you shape your understanding, your perception, your understanding of different things. This person, their candor, as well as their critique can be trusted. They are honest with you. Everybody needs that friend that is naturally um, just gifted with wisdom. Now, let's say this, though. This is where I kind of had to back off of my thing. Now, there is no church friend, but there actually were friends that were set in different places in the Bible that people would only visit in that place or that people um, associated with having a certain lane of wisdom. And so one of the reasons why Jesus was, uh, was friends with certain sinners was because of their business acumen and educational background. That's what connected them as friends. So that is the friend named Wisdom. That's how he could be friends with tax collectors. He wasn't asking them advice on how to build the church. He wasn't asking them advice on how to raise up disciples. But they had a certain lane of knowledge which he needed access to. And so those were his friends named Wisdom. 
They are pleasant to hear. They are smart and they are often in concentrated areas of your life. Do not kick those friends out. That is where a lot of your sinner friends will fall. They will often fall in the friend named wisdom. Your church friends are not always your friend named wisdom. Because it depends on what the wisdom is on and what you're giving them access and insight to. Okay. So there are a whole plethora of friends. You can have uh, married friends. So as a married couple, you got other married friends. You're not asking them about purpose. You're not asking them to stay with you for the rest of your life. And you haven't been with them for the previous part of your life because you weren't even married. But now that you're in this married season, they have a certain level of wisdom, wealth of knowledge related to that. And those are your married friends. That is possible. Doesn't make them fake friends. Okay, because they're a friend named Wisdom. Okay, let's speed up to the next one. Proverbs 26 and 18. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Like a madman who throws fire bands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Y'all know we be doing that. What it's talking about here, if you, if you read it in context, it gives, a different, um, it, it gives several different scenarios here where people are giving um, confrontational advice, where they have to confront something that is really intense. This is your friend named Confrontation. Your friend named Confrontation knows the proper words at the proper time but it is seemingly improper to you. Your friend named Confrontation um, is very careful to not just give wisdom, but to challenge you. Everybody needs a friend that will challenge them. You're not going to get this out of all of your friends, but everybody needs a friend that calls them to the carpet on a regular basis. One of the things in Galatians 2 and 11 is that Paul, he's talking and he makes a plan. And what he says is, as soon as I see Peter, I'm about to call him to the carpet. Because things weren't going right. And Paul made a plan. He's like, as soon as I see Peter, I'm about to confront him about this because this is not right. That is an example of a biblical friend who calls you to the carpet. This friend's name is Confrontation. You need to be careful in your friendships that you don't always seek a spoon and forsake the knife. If all you want from your friends is a spoon and when they start coming at you with a knife, you decide they're not your friend, then you are missing out on a whole lane of friends and that friend's name is confrontation. You need that friend. You need that friend. One of the things that you got to understand is wise counsel is the spoil of a good circle of friends. You need to let your friends confront you. We take confrontation as somebody who has stepped out of their lane. Oh, she didn't go beyond herself. Oh, she taking advantage. I done told her this and that, and now she's just stepping out of bounds. 
But if you let people be confrontational with you, your friend named confrontation will challenge you in a way that everybody else around you will not challenge you. Your friend named confrontation will push you into your next level because your friend named confrontation will tell you stuff that other people would let you live with. But your friend named confrontation is a gift. How do we know? Because God is our friend. And what he says is that he chastises those that he loves. And so if that is the model for friendship and he's going to chasten us because he loves us and he is our friend, everybody needs a friend that'll cut you. The last friend that Proverbs talks about is Proverbs 22 and 11. So we have that friend named Love who stands a test of time. We have that friend named Wisdom who just has a wealth of knowledge or is concentrated in an area. We have that friend named Confrontation who will challenge us to different seasons or every season of our life. And then we have the friend named Purpose. Proverbs 22 and 11 says, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. And when I looked at this scripture, I had to ask myself, why would you need to be friends with a king? And then we look at uh, another example where the heart of the king was turned like water. And the reason being was for purpose. You would need to be friend with a king in order to get purpose accomplished. Every friend is not your purpose friend. Stop robbing yourselves of friends that could be valuable to you in other areas just because they can't do purpose with you. Your purpose is exactly that, your purpose. So it doesn't mean that all of your friends have to be in the purpose bucket but there are some friends who you will do purpose with side by side which is why you would need to be the friend of a king or a friend of somebody who is in a certain level of influence or a a king of a a friend of somebody who is in a certain uh, rulership why because kings have territory and only they can break in have you ever been invited to a party with a friend and you looked around like oh my friend is important Listen, okay. I went to a conference with Dr. Cassandra and my job had registered me for the conference and everything. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go and make some friends. But when I showed up, she already had friends there. And so we, I just sat next to her and I'm like, I'm gonna, hey. She's like, this is my friend. I'm like, uh-huh, hey. And so they are purpose friends you will find that you are are going a similar place in life. You are are plowing on a similar field in life. And so this is why these people have hearts of integrity. Not integrity like honesty integrity, but integrity like foundational. Integrity like we are committed to the same things. We are committed to the same future. And so these purpose friends, you do kingdom work together. They are considerate of what God's call is on your life. Now it's not that the other people are fighting against it. I'm not telling you to be friends with them, but they don't have to have a revelation of it. Now, if anybody is fighting against it, they should be nowhere in your friend buckets. Okay. But the fact that they don't know anything about it, they can't push you in your prophetic call. Doesn't mean that you have to write them off as a friend. 
Okay, because you have these purpose friends. And so they are committed to the same things and purpose. And then there are warnings of dysfunction. So there are four buckets that Proverbs puts friends in. But then the Bible also warns us. So it lets us know if you get friends and you have friends in these four buckets and things like that, don't ruin it. And it gives you two things not to ruin it over. One thing it says, don't ruin these friendships with gossip. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. If they won't say it out loud or they won't say it in front of people, they're perverse, perverted. You guys call perverts people who, you know, uh, expose themselves in public and look at naughty things and different things like that. Well, that's fine. That's a lane of pervert. The Bible says you're a pervert if you're always whispering in dark places and in people's ears. You're a pervert. Because what you've done is you've taken the beauty and the value of relationships and you've twisted it and made it go sour. So you too, my friend, with your whispering tongue are a pervert. A perverse man sows strife. So when you have anything to do with conflict in the body of Christ or one person against the other, you too, my friend, are a pervert. So if you're somebody who keeps the mess going, and that includes listening to the mess, you are a pervert. Gossip is deadly to a friendship. Why? Because somebody has taken what God meant for good and turned it around for evil, which is in direct opposition of what God does because God takes things that were intended for evil and turns them around for your good. So you are working against God when you take things that were meant for good and turn them around to evil. So he simply demotes you to a pervert. The second warning that he says, I've given you friends in all these buckets, he says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You cannot or you should not pursue friends if you have an anger management problem. I did not make this up. I was looking for stuff for friends. So then when he, he sent the warning, I said, oh, God. We got to give the warning too. So you got a short fuse. That's why you can't keep your friendships. You got to work on your anger management problem first. And then your friendships are going to come into alignment. And so how do you start this friendship? There's a life cycle of a friendship. There's a birthing of a friendship. There's an establishment of a friendship. And then there's the tending to a friendship. So the birthing of a friendship is explicit. I was watching Sesame Street, third love Sesame Street. And he said, the little man on there, he said, if you want to have friends, you have to ask for friends. If you see someone on the playground and you want to be their friend, then you ask them, will you be my friend? This is what they teach in third. But many of us, we think we're above initiating a friendship. Well, I stood close to them. I went to their birthday party. I smile at them. I speak to them every week. So what? That doesn't mean that they know that you want to be their friend. You have to initiate friendships. 
You have to birth out a friendship. It is intentional. When you know that you are going into labor, you are birthing this new relationship. Nobody's like, oh, well, wherever I am, however it happens, it'll be by happenstance. Oh, yeah, my water broke. I'm going to Target. I'm just, it's just going to happen by happenstance. No, you get yourself in position and you are intentional about the birthing of that thing. The second one is establishment. You have to set expectations. Be clear on what you expect out of this relationship. And really, that's what all relationships, but definitely in a friendship, we leave so much stuff to chance and so much implied stuff. And we say things like, well, everybody knows. No, because there are certain things that you all expect from your friends that I don't expect from my friends and that this person expects from their friends that this person doesn't expect from their friends. And which friend are they? So then there's definitely going to be different expectations. And so you have to say what the expectations are. And then the third part is the tending of the friendship. You've initiated it. You've established the expectations. But now you've got to work. It's a relationship with another jacked up person. That's either slightly more or slightly less jacked up than you. You know you need grace in that relationship. And so now you work. And so now if they step outside of expectations, you bring it to their attention. And you don't allow yourself to be abused, but give them a chance to change. Give them a chance to respond. Give them a chance to know that they actually hurt your feelings. And then you tend to it. You manage life-giving conversations. You don't talk to your friend about just what they ate for dinner. You ask your friend questions like, what's the current attack of the enemy on your life? You ask your friends questions like, what's the most horrible thing that you thought about yourself this week? What was your mental warfare like? You ask your friends things like, are you working that job and they're paying you less than what you're worth? You ask your friends things like, when's the last time you took a risk in your business? You ask your friend things like, are you being a good wife to your husband? Are you being a good husband to your wife? You ask your friends things like, your kids look unhappy. Are you doing right by them? Life-giving conversations. Strangers ask me how I'm doing. I don't need that from my friends. It's too generic. I go to Staples right now. They'd be like, how are you, ma'am? I'm like, I'm good. Great. Fine. So then what's the difference between them and a friend? A friend going to say, how are you? And I'm going to say, good. And they say, well, why do your hair look like that? And I say, oh, I'm going to get it retwisted tomorrow. A friend asks how you're doing and you say good and they say, oh, really? Because you still are working on that job that you said that you hated and didn't feel like you were in purpose. Did you actually update your resume and turn it in somewhere? That's what a friend's going to ask you. Because somebody at Trader Joe's will ask me, oh, what are you going to make with the chicken breast tonight? And I'm like, I'm going to make enchiladas. And then, you know, that's just it. I don't need my friend to ask me that. I need my friend to say, what are you going to do with the chicken breast? And I say, oh, I'm making enchiladas. And then they say, doesn't chicken make you sick? And I say, yes, it does. I'm going to stop eating it. You're right. I'm making the enchiladas for the kids. 
but we have diminished our conversation with friends to conversation that we would have with a common stranger. The conversation goes the same way. And so, God, we pray over our relationships today. God, we need you as friend. So help us to establish this friendship. Give us another revelation of trust. If that's you and you need another revelation of trust of God, just lift up your hands where you are. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. If you're like, you know what? This all starts with my trust in God. I carry the money around, but it's not the revelation of my heart. In God will we trust. God, upgrade our trust in you. Give us a new revelation of who you are and what you've been, your faithfulness, your consistency. Help us to trust you. We want to trust you more. We want to know you more. We want to be with you. We want to have confidence in you. Upgrade our level of trust with you. And then we pray over our friendship relationships. It said that the world was going to read us and know who we are by the way we treat each other. Manifest, starting with this body. Manifest in the city of San Bernardino. Manifest with all nations San Bernardino. They will know who we follow by the way we treat each other. They will know who we follow by the way we treat each other. Calls for other people to look at us in interaction over lunch. Calls for other people to look at us in interaction on social media. Calls for other people in our family to look at us in interaction and ministry. And let people desire the God we know because of the way we treat each other. Upgrade us in our relationships. God, we pray healing for the heart healing for the mind, healing for the soul, because we've tried to have friends before. This is not the first message, and this is not our first rodeo. We've tried before, and we were disappointed. Heal those places of disappointment. Heal those places of hurt. Heal those places of harm. Heal those places of callousness that have built up around our hearts. We bulldoze down the walls that we've built around our hearts and we cause it to come down. We cause it to come down in the name of Jesus. We will love again. We will try again. We will hope again. And we will do it as an extension of our love and as a benefit of being a believer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.